0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists
1: to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG 13. You've never been to Toronto. I'm due. I'm due. You've, we, nev- we, you've never really been to Toronto. Kept waiting for you guys to make the finals. When you made the finals, I was going to go. Man, you have no rights to comment about Toronto. Like <laughs> until you come, until you come to Toronto and you feel it and you see it. Yeah, right, you got to come. come. Maybe I'll do it this season. You have to, you have to. That's one of the best cities in the world. Did you know that? No, I'm fully aware. Yeah, yeah, there it was is. Something. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to sell it. I'm just telling you. It's one of the. Regardless of sports, even that's one of the best cities in the world. To go. Vince Carter, you are amazing. Give it to me. A little baby black, Get that garbage out of here. <laughs> mm. Mm. Welcome
2: to Toronto Basketball Matters Podcast for number twenty-five. Unfortunately, Gregory Eroschadas is not going to be joining us today. He's actually in San Diego, um, participating Where? in the world's biggest Magic: The Gathering card convention in North America. That's so like him. So that's classic, Greg. Him and his love for like World of Warcrafts, you know, goblins, trolls, elves. He loves Harry Potter. He calls it his favorite book of all time. Dressing up. Dressing up. Halloween, like, I, it might be another reason why he's on here. We, we're actually lying to you guys. He's, uh, he's writing his PhD, finishing up his PhD, actually, so he has a shitload of work to do, but nonetheless, I am with, uh, my half-Asian brethren, Mr. Christian Graffin. How's it going? Pretty good, buddy. Uh, so, pretty interesting intro as well. Masai Jerry uh, on the Billson's podcast it. yesterday. Um, I don't think it was recorded yesterday, but it's pretty awesome that he's, uh, shown some love toward the sixth, T-Dot.
1: Yep, and uh, Bill Simmons kind of tried to chirp there, it seemed like, and uh, he said, oh, I'll go there when I'll see you guys in the finals. And Masai just came back and just basically said, Toronto's the best, and you're an idiot for not coming here.
2: Well, shit, uh, I think like Toronto, you know, people have this really weird uh, misconception that it's a sort of like, northern, sort of barbaric, cold, weird, desolate Canadian city with multi-coloured money, but in all actuality, it's a beautiful place to play basketball, eh?
1: Well, I mean, it, really, it is that, what you said at first, but, uh, but no, no, of course, Messiah, uh, Messiah's the best, he's defending Toronto, he's saying, fuck Brooklyn, it's pretty obvious that he's here, and he's essentially, like, battling with Norm Kelly for face of the city, it seems like.
2: <laughs> I hate Norm Kelly, like, Norm Kelly, stop getting into verbal warfares with Meek Mill on fucking Twitter. It's good, good promotion for the award. For the council, I don't think he understands the fact that realistically he might get stabbed or something. Deputy mayor, or something like that, was that, that Norm he's, Kelly's
1: he's position? He's pretty old, I don't think he leaves the house. He's pretty much on Twitter 24/7. Just,
2: just you know, talking <laughs> shit, throwing shade to uh, Philadelphia-based rappers. All right, guys, let's get back on track. Four games in to the 2017-2018 regular season. Strong Rapper is currently two and two, however, it's a very Fucking awesome, 2-2. Two two, kind of a weird way to put it, but uh, two pretty close games against arguably the two best teams in the NBA. We're talking the San Antonio Spurs, and last night, uh, the Golden State Warriors, DeRozan not being able to close out the game, Steph Curry doing what Steph Curry does and closing out the game, getting the Golden State, Golden State Warriors a win over the Toronto Raptors, but also massive improvement from some of the uh, the complementary pieces, including uh, you know Pascal Siakam, uh, Yaka Pirtle, as well as O.G. and Anubi. We'll let Dwayne Casey do the talking for this one.
0: Rockup and, and, and uh, uh, O.G., and Pascal, all those three bigs did an excellent job rebounding, running the floor, defending, had a few hiccups on some switches we shouldn't have switched on and some we should have switched on uh, that uh, the young guys will learn. But uh, those three young men did an excellent job of fighting, scrapping, uh, and making plays.
2: So, Grafen, going into uh, I guess Game Four, going into the season itself, um, you know, how does uh, our performance against you know two of the best of the best, elite of elite, what do you think of the Raptors so far this season? Obviously, we're putting more of an emphasis on space in the floor, three-point shooting, um, kind of going away from being an ISO dominant team toward you know adopting sort of a modern uh, offensive scheme. let's Put it as that. Uh, what are your impressions so Well, somewhere?
1: in the first four games, I mean, first of all, I really like what we've seen, what I've seen so far. Um, I stayed up and watched the whole game last night, uh, and it was great. Honestly, the Raptors just never let Golden State go on a run. Um, they did something similar, I guess. Well, San Antonio. The, the whole problem is when they have a lead late. Now, it's going to be—is it going to be an issue of can they close the game out, especially against good teams? It's going to be something that I think you're going to keep an eye on going forward because. The team plays very, very well. Um, the bench, as as Dwayne Casey was saying, has stepped up better than I think most people would have thought. Um, when Valanciunas was not going to play this game and Yaka Pirtle stepped in, I'm fairly sure most of the impressions were that he won't be good. Uh, he won't be great, at least, especially against a team like Golden
2: State. Well, my biggest issue when we did draft Yaka Pirtle was the fact that you know he's, he's a sure bet. If that makes sense, right? Well, He's going to be a like a, a rotation player regardless. My only issue was drafting for upside, like drafting for max potential, understanding the fact that you know we are a good team, but we're not the best team in the NBA, and we weren't really competing for the championship considering the roster we had last year and the way we played last year or the year before as well. And Jakob Purtle was like just an easy draft pick, like very you know low floor, sort sorry, high floor, low ceiling kind of guy. He's showing up though, like his offensive rebounding is pretty impressive and again, he's a very vital component to the second unit You know, a big guy that, you know, is a good rim protector as well
1: Yeah, well last night he had 11 offensive rebounds and if you're watching, he just seemed to be everywhere no matter where the ball came off the rim, if they missed a shot and again, the Raptors are missing a lot of shots. That's another thing. That if they're going to play this style where they do take a lot of shots, they, you know, they're they passing a ton right now. Mm-hmm. And people like Demar, people like Norman Powell are sacrificing a lot of their scoring a lot of the time to get that extra pass or to, you know, try to find a, an open guy when they drive it, as opposed to just going up and trying to look for the foul. So I think it's all helping. Everything's sort of helping the Raptors' game. It, it's it's the way that they're coming together right now through those first four games, again, I expected a 2-2 two and two record. That's the reason why we have to win the next game against LA. And, again, like there's, from here on in this road trip, I think we should go 3-3. Three and three. It's a six-game road trip. I don't know about, again, either the Blazers or the Jazz could be tough games, but I still think that they could easily, the way they're playing, they might even be able to go 4-2 and two and win out on the rest of this road trip, the way that they're playing right now, especially with the bench stepping up and allowing that starting unit to sort of take some, you know, take some rest and not have to be there for the whole third quarter.
2: Right. So, sort of replicating what you know, teams like Golden State, maybe more specifically, Houston Rockets are sort of doing with their offense—three-point shooting or just drive the lane straight to the basket, no mid-range shots. Is that if we kind of switch the way we're playing? Obviously emphasis on three-point shooting space in on the floor. Are we a championship contender? Could we win the East and could we dethrone the Golden State Warriors and be the 2017-2018 NBA champions? Or is it the same sort of shit every single season? Another promising glimmer of hope from the Toronto Raptors, but at the end of the day, they're gonna disappoint us. Lose out in the second round, finish second or third in the Eastern Conference.
1: It's just so early still. It's so hard to tell. I mean, obviously, uh, it looks great so far. Everything looks good, we look like a championship team, we look like we'd be a contender. Um, uh, The other teams in the East right now, I'd say that are right there, Cleveland, Milwaukee, and maybe Washington. Beyond that, I would say the Raptors' expectations for this year have always been winning the East. Even last year, it's been winning the East. Mm It's, it's now a matter of can we get over the hurdle of facing that team in the West, I think, as well. Well, and we that, get
2: over the hurdle with hurdle? <laughs> uh, but that game
1: that. against Golden State was huge, especially even the one against San Antonio. It's huge. It just shows that we can compete and be there if we were to make it that far. And I think it also kind of showed a lot of people in the U.S. that, well, like, the crowd last night was completely silent. Throughout the game, there were so many stretches where they wanted, where Golden State wanted to go on a run, and the crowd there at Oracle is used to them just blowing up and, and going off. And the Raptors team just did such a good job of, of maintaining the composure. Siakam with his 10 point run in the third quarter. Shit,
2: man, we came out to play. Absolutely. I mean, the crowd is we shocked. I think
1: we're actually showing a lot of, not only American media, but I think we're changing some minds of a lot of people who put us in you know, six spots or the sixth spot in the East before the season starts.
2: Well, it takes a lot of balls for Dwayne Casey to kind of come in the season and kind of restructure his philosophy of how to run an offense and kind of pay a lot of heed to three-point shooting. You know, we're talking about, we're the second best three-point, I guess we're the second best three-point shooting rate in the NBA at 44%. Listen, last year we are number, we twenty 22 in the NBA. This year we're number two right behind the Golden State Warriors. Also, you know what I love that we're doing this year? fucking playmaking passing the goddamn ball you know this year we're 10th in assist percentage last year 30th year before 30th you, know, you can see the guys like Dylan Wright coming off the bench and who are great ball not only great ball handlers and point guards but they're always looking for the open man they're always looking to move the ball same thing with Kyle Lowry this season same thing with the entire organization in general Do uh, you think we should sort of continue playing in this sort of modern model of basketball or we will we eventually go back to iso ball?
1: No, I mean, the. it's tough because at the very end of that Golden State game, when we ended up going down, we were up for a bit and then we went down and we kind of reverted right back to it at the end. And it honestly, it didn't really work very well. It, it ended up going to basically give the ball to Kyle or give the ball to Damar and let them do their thing. And I think the, what, if anything, these first four games have shown, it's that a pass-first style basketball is pretty much what I think Masai was alluding to when he said the Raptors have to change their game Mm stuff. I don't think it just necessarily means chuck a bunch of threes, even though, I mean, that just happens to be the result of a lot of passing. And if you end up doing that, you're going to find someone with an open shot. And I think any coach in the NBA, especially Greg Popovich is one of the best would say, if you have an open look, it's never a bad look. So that has to be the goal of the Raptors rotation. I think it, it's going to only hurt them if they go back to what they were doing before. And I think, honestly, with CJ Miles, with players that actually are hitting shots, like Siakam was hitting threes, is hitting threes, Lowry can hit threes, it's, it's still very, very effective to do what we're doing, while mixing in a little bit of DeMar's sort of isolation ball. But do
2: game. we have the right team to facilitate that type of offense? Listen, I mentioned that we um, have the second highest three-point shooting rate in the NBA. We're also bottom in the NBA around 25, 26 in three-point field goal percentage. You know, are we just trying to replicate what everyone does that you know, like all teams think they need to do to win? Like, is it like, does it make sense for Toronto to be shooting that many threes a game, considering our limitations, the type of guys we have in our roster? We mentioned Norman Powell and DeMar DeRozan. You know, CJ Miles a fantastic three-point shooter, but listen, OG and isn't typically known as a three-point shooter. Serge Ibaka is incredibly streaky as well. Tamar DeRozan is not a three-point shooter, and Kyle Lowry is very hot and cold from the outside.
1: See, I think that it, an ISO ball, um, what it does, it's kind of like what happened last year, is we ended up taking a lot of games against teams that weren't very good close. <coughs> and we just played the same style every day, and that's what made us so predictable, especially in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. If you have this pass-first style, any single Raptor could potentially get hot. And that's the key. If you have some CJ, Norm, uh, Lowry, and DeRozan on the floor. Like, any one of those players could easily get hot and Valanchunas down low. It's very, very, very difficult to just have to guard every single person and keep switching and switching and right, switching. Right. Regardless, at the end of the game, I think the Raptors are going to tire teams out. And it just... This style of play, I feel like, will lead to the Raptors blowing the bad teams out right. and keeping competitive and, you know, being right there with the really elite teams. So how,
2: how do we get guys who are mid-range shooters like Norman Powell and DeMar DeRozan to become... Contributing members to the offense. Can, can DeMar DeRozan be an option on this team or is he going to hinder our development? Like should we trade DeMar DeRozan and Norman Powell for guys who sort of fit the mold of the three-point shooters facing the floor? Well, let's not be ridiculous.
1: <laughs> no, I don't think we should trade those two. I mean, again, DeMar still scores 28. You know, he's still getting a ton but of But I'm points. talking
2: about efficiency. You know again, I, mean?
1: I still think from what we've seen from the Raptors, I like a pass-first DeMar. For those first two games almost when DeMar wasn't scoring a lot, he would drive it and then kick it out. And then we would get either DeLon or someone would have an open look.
2: Well, that's what DeMar DeRozan is. He's selfless, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, if DeMar DeRozan, let's say, is in a situation where we're putting such a high emphasis on the three-point shot and DeMar DeRozan gets phased out offensively, he will still find ways to contribute no matter what. And you're talking about playmaking, maybe defensive hustle. You know, I'm not quite sure what it is specifically that he can add beyond offense, but DeMar DeRozan has the type of work ethic to find that sort of secondary role. Right? Yeah, And, and we, defense as well.
1: But we, uh, also, we look back at, like, you know, we said they're not the best three point percentage shooting team. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, like, if you look at in terms of trust from DeMar's angle. Like, last year he's passing off to DeMar Carroll. He's passing off to, I don't know, a lot of players that I wouldn't have a lot of trust in shooting the ball. And now he can go to Siakam. He can go to, you know, DeLon Wright, CJ Miles. Like, these are players that have stepped up to get Siakam that if they're on the floor with DeMar and he kicks it, he doesn't feel like he has to go for the foul and yell, and, you know, ah! every time he goes up. He can just kick it out after he drives because he's going to draw two people every single
2: time. Well that's just of, what DeMar does. That's one of my issues kind of with the uh, the structure of his team. I, I know I mentioned the podcast before, I was a big fan of the Serge Ibaka re-signing, but, you know, hindsight's fifty-fifty. But Pascal Siakam looked absolutely fantastic last night. Listen, I don't know what his upside is, but the way the Raptors played the last few years, we didn't really need a four, okay? Or we didn't have a four. Um, but right now, we have a couple guys that could facilitate that role. Listen, looking back, and if I knew how good Pirtle, Siakam, and a, a moderately healthy OG and Anubi would be, I wouldn't give given Serge Ibaka that contract. Listen, we could have given, like how much is that, 20 plus million dollars per season? We could have thrown a couple complimentary guys to come up the bench to sort of uh, embrace the three-point shooting adage that the Raptors are sort of embracing so far this season. Okay, I have a question for you,
1: and I know we're going to touch on this a little bit later, but you mentioned that you didn't want, or you, you kind of regret the Ibaka contract.
2: I'm, all, I'm on the fence. I, I don't hate Ibaka. He's a fantastic rim protector, and he's a, he, when it comes to power forwards in the NBA, he's an above average three-point shooter. I'm just saying the amount we're paying him right now in consideration of Valanciunas at etc.
1: Okay, so seeing our team right now then, which contract extension would you rather take back? His or Powell's?
2: Man, that's a, that's a tough question. Um, probably... Because
1: I'm in the exact same thought process as you, but except for Powell. I have a feeling we kind of maybe should have waited until the end of the season. And especially since we knew OG's going to be this good. And I don't think another team would have offered See, him that. See,
2: I, I, I much. would have I I sign Norm Powell. And the reason why I would have signed Norm Powell is that he has a sense of urgency when he plays. I know it's a very non tangible thing night. to say. I know, I know, I know. But in situations where you need to, like, when you need to depend on him to facilitate the offense in the secondary unit, when you need him to come through for points or buckets, or just contribute somewhere defensively, you know, uh, playing a full court, you know, just maximizing his effort one hundred percent. know it's a very big cliche to say. I would take Norm Powell, second round draft pick, you know, proving himself in the NBA. You know, he, he still has a lot of upside shit. Serge has been in the league for how long now? It's just hard. You know, with- Serge Ibaka was a guy that you know justify the James Harden train OKC because they thought he's going to be this fantastic three-point shooting, monster-blocking, two-way player. Serge Ibaka is what you see is what you get. I don't see a lot of effort from him on both sides of the court every single night. That's why I would take Norman Powell because at least Norman Powell needs, still needs to prove his worth with the second round pick. See, I he's would, pissed
1: off. I would keep Ibaka on the team because right now, like last night, Norman Powell played 16 minutes and we, we were in that game. Mm-hmm. We didn't really notice him missing. But, for instance, Ibaka... He was in foul trouble all night against San Antonio, and we really got out-rebounded. Out right. That entire game, that was the most evident thing I, thing I, I think I saw. Like, again, we didn't have Alan Tunis there, but Ibaka just brings that need right now, and I understand what you're saying, Siakam is right there, but I guess I'm arguing that OG is closer to Powell than Siakam is closer to like Ibaka. We,
2: no, but we were competitive enough without a proper starting power forward for years. You know, I'm, 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 as I was mentioning before, like there are several guys on this roster that can fill that power forward, stretch forward position role. i will talk about a rebounder in Pirdall and more of an outside shooting, uh, like I mentioned, stretch forward type of player in OG and in OB, And Pascal Siakam sort of fits in the middle between both of
1: them. And see, the key, the key here for... I think Siakam is that and Pertle both of them is that they have quick enough feet in today's NBA that they can move off Those switches easily mm-hmm. and they can guard that yet that other player that comes off or they can switch back or they can take the pop if that happens like That's the key I think and that's what everyone was saying about and right. Why they, they they visually Valanchunas doesn't look like he can keep up, you know Footwork wise with them, but this year he certainly does and that's the biggest difference. So I don't know I think don't forget Siakam last year when he started at the right at the start of the season because we were waiting for what's his name who never ended up playing for us. I'm not forget exactly who. What uh, who did we sign again last year uh, at the beginning of the season? And we had some high hopes. He was injury injury prone the whole time. Jared ended- Sollinger? Jared Sollinger, Yes. So he started when Jar- Jared Sullinger. This is three hundred still-
2: pounds, Jared Sollinger. I. I- I think, obviously, forgot his name because he never <laughs> did anything for us. But Fair enough.
1: Siakam played really well uh, in that time mm-hmm. when we were waiting for Jared Sellinger. So I don't I don't think this is that much of a surprise, especially since the summer league this year, Siakam was outstanding.
2: So we're going to something a little bit different. Maybe this is a Brandon a hot take of the day. But um, I'm talking about Dwayne Casey and sort of reluctantly changing the way the team plays from iso to three point shooting, you know, him predominantly being known as a coach that runs a heavy iso offense going to uh, a three point shooting team. I don't like the idea of Dwayne Casey still leading this organization if we're going to put an emphasis on floor spacing. It's a it's a it's a defeatist mentality, you know what I mean, of him not being able to get the Raptors over that hump and having to reluctantly change the offensive scheme of the organization well, to a comp-
1: good so far. Uh,
2: it's 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 just weird. Like I feel like it's just a strange thing. Like to try to convince the locker room that you know what, shit. i have been your head coach for five years. Let's completely switch, like flip the switch. You know what I mean? And completely change our offensive flow or the way we run our offense. I just feel like the guy's been around the team for so long. A breath of fresh air with a high emphasis on base in the floor and three point shooting would be a good look for the Raptors man like I we could
1: not disagree like more we with that. huh I, I think that's one of the most overrated things in sports is we just need a fresh look and uh, I think continuity of a head coach is one of the most overlooked things in sports it's what keeps an organization it keeps rookies and people who have been there when your coach has you know established. I'm not saying it's a bad coach
2: I'm not saying a new regime a new breath, I don't fresh think sharing doing I't sharing one just of the most
1: for like, the sake of doing something and and bringing a new life to the Ra- the Raptors this year have looked great and Firing Casey at this point would just be, in my opinion, uh, you gotta wait till at least he goes on like a losing
2: streak. So let's <laughs> say we finish. Let's say we finish third in the Eastern Conference this season. We got bounced in the second round. Same shit as last year and as the year before. What does Masai Ujiri do?
1: Well, again, it all depends on how we look, right? Like last year, you can easily argue Kyle wasn't there. So that's that's one of the main reasons why we couldn't go deep into the playoffs, even though we went.
2: Every still year there's an, an excuse. There's a reason why we can't get to that next pinnacle but point. Again, Teams every, can adapt, okay? That's, that's why they that make the a championship caliber team. Look at the San Antonio Spurs about Kawhi Leonard. They're still monsters for up, well, You know, Dwayne Casey has not had developed the ability to adapt. If you lose DeMar DeRozan, and Kyle Lowry, there's always an excuse why he should retain his job next season. Look,
1: I would agree with you if the Raptors' first four games of the season looked like the last... Looked like last year. Looked the exact same as the playoffs, and it was all isolation ball. We were banking on DeRozan, but it hasn't looked like that at all. Like, if anything, I think Dwayne Casey is showing his adaptability, and uh, you know, willingness. His reluctant
2: adaptability.
1: Not. I mean, again, like, I don't think there's a problem with a good shot. I don't think there's any coach in the NBA who would say otherwise. And regardless of it, they're all in the NBA, unless you have, you know. Shit. Well, I, I meant, Shit, shooters man, shooters. I mentioned it
2: before, you know what I mean? Every team can be a three-point shooting organization, but, but the, the Raptors it. are 25%, 25th in the league at three-point field goal percentage. doesn't it it. make sense for us to actually jack up all these three-pointers with next to no success based on the small sample size.
1: Would you rather they, when they have an open three take one step forward and take a deep two instead?
2: Good point. Speaking of uh, coaches on the hot seat, or I guess a fired coach, uh, Earl Watson mm-hmm. of the Phoenix Suns this is, is the most question. recent. I, I am shocked I, me too. that a NBA coach was fired before an NFL coach at this point in the season. We'll play the clip.
3: <laughs> uh, good morning. Um, you know, I open with a brief statement. Uh, obviously, we made a coaching change yesterday. Um, we let go of Coach Watson. Uh, we thank him for his efforts uh, over the past 18 months or so. Uh, we named Jay Triano interim head coach. Uh, we, we thought it was time for a, a new voice, a uh, new direction. Um, we think Coach Triano makes some Uh, strategic changes that, um, you know, result in positive progress for our team. And uh, we'll get back to a a player development focus um, and uh, a basketball focus that I feel like has been um, been lacking. I feel like um, there have been too many distractions lately and too many um, issues, um, uh, you know, that weren't basketball related. Uh, So we'll get back to to focusing on player development, uh, focusing on having our young players improve and putting in systems offensively and defensively that allow our guys to be successful on the floor. So, um,
2: Grafin, there's a, a little bit of an issue in Phoenix right now. Obviously, Earl Watson is no longer the head coach of the organization. Shout out to, oh my God, what's he, uh, Jay Triano? Jay Triano, yeah. Yeah, yeah Ontario's coach. very own Jay Triano, currently the head coach of the Phoenix Suns. The team is in... Uh, has been shitting the bed the last few seasons. Sure, they have a couple decent prospects, specifically Josh Jackson, what drafted seventh or sorry fourth overall this year in the MA draft. Um, but there's also some ske- sketchy picks in the past, including Dragon Bender and Marquis Chris, who've shown next to nothing so far um, as actual contributing basketball players to any team. The guys suck, basically. I haven't seen anything from Marquis Chris. Dragon Bender might have a little bit upside. as a three-point shooter, rim protector kind of guy. But beyond from that, you know... The rebuilding.
1: They're rebuilding. They're a young team that's rebuilding right now.
2: Yeah, but... I don't know, man. That that Dragon Bender-Marquis Chris draft, I think, put them back a couple years. And also, considering Eric Bledsoe has stated on his Twitter, I don't want to be here anymore. Devin Booker hasn't really reached uh, that... What? You was just talking about He was at a barbershop. Devin Booker hasn't really jumped to that next step. Um...
1: I don't know. Devin Booker's. I think Devin Booker's looked great. I don't I mean, think Devin Booker.
2: Yeah, Devin Booker isn't like your number one offensive option. Devin Booker's more of like a complimentary two, three guy on a really good team. Uh, maybe like a shittier version of Clay Thompson. That sort of value. Once i was saying is not a, a terrible basketball player, but you can't run an organization through. Um, and Eric Bledsoe now wants to get traded. So let's let's talk with the Phoenix Suns. How do you fix this issue? If you are was it Ryan McDonough, McDonough, yeah. <laughs> GM for the Phoenix Suns? How do you remedy? the dysfunctionality of the Phoenix Suns?
1: Well, but it's tough, because it's really just Eric Bledsoe, and I think the report came out today that he's mentioned that he didn't want to be part of this team even before the season started. He had, a, he had a talk with some of the GMs as well about basically the fact he really just didn't want to be there at all. He didn't like being in a team atmosphere that's going through a rebuild when he's 27 years old and is, you know, sort of a veteran in the league right now. So, uh, the only thing I disagree with it from him, from his perspective, is firing the head coach. Mm-hmm. If anything, I would have let Eric Bledsoe go, uh, trade him for whatever, because obviously he doesn't want to be there. Uh, Man, and Eric coach Bledsoe fucked
2: that team over, though. Rec- like putting that Absolutely. sort of dark and ominous Twitter tweet.
1: Absolutely. Twitter tweet. So I don't understand. I mean, again, I have a feeling that that's the reason why, is because he asked for this preseason. He didn't get what he wanted. We're, what, five games into the year. They've lost, I think, every single game they've played. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he's got, he had a game where he, you know, got 28 points. He, he's been playing actually fairly well before he got benched. And and then all of a sudden he went public and did this. And I think that's the reason why he did it. And he put the organization in a, a worse a worse scenario than Paul George in the Indiana Pacers.
2: Is Eric Bledsoe that good, though? Like, you just mentioned Paul George in the Indiana Pacers. Also, we could talk about Jimmy Butler and the Minnesota Timberwolves. You know, having to trade uh, an all-star player at fifty cents on the dollar, is Eric Bledsoe an all-star? Like, like, what is his league-wide value? Like, in the pecking order of the best point guards in the NBA, where does Eric Bledsoe fall?
1: Well, Eric Bledsoe's gotten better every year which is, so it's tough to sort of, you know, analyze where he's going to be. Right now, he's he's not an all star. Yeah, he's getting getting
2: better every single year because you remember that one point he was playing with Isaiah Thomas and Goran Dragic in a three-headed point guard system that Suns had a few years ago. He's playing better because he's getting the ball in his hands more. Maybe... Maybe yeah. he's coming a little more efficient, but he never really struck me as a great outside shooter. He's more he's not of a, a good slasher. Shooter. He's a 30% shooter. So, how does he fit onto a roster? Like, what team could bring him in and he could actually right away contribute to the, like, you know, make the team that much better? Like guys like that are, are are dinosaurs in the NBA. I hate to say it, but what what is Eric Bledsoe Bledsoe's league-wide value? I could see him going to the Spurs cuz the Spurs are just a fantastically run organization of finding value in his skill set, but beyond from that something like this. What 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 team though could bring in Eric Bledsoe and it, still be competitive?
1: If I had to predict a team that Eric Bledsoe's going to be the Cavs, and it's based on LeBron GM Uh, His relationship with him, essentially.
2: Yeah, but that doesn't fix their biggest issue, and that's outside shooting, three-point shooting, as well as the defense as well. Eric Bledsoe's a competent defender, but he's not a lockdown defender whatsoever. The
1: Caps have enough three-point shooting. They're fine, then. If they gave up, you know, I don't even think they'd have to give up that number I'm more focused
2: on the defensive side of the ball. What do you mean? Bledsoe is a decent defender, but he's Bledsoe's on an upper a echelon fantastic type of defender. defender. Nah.
1: He is up there in the in, the, in terms of defense. See, that's where I think we disagree. I think Bledsoe is one of the best. Beyond Patrick Beverley, who's a better defensive point guard than Eric Bledsoe? Ron Baker. <laughs> I mean, the- he's he's very good, and he's aggressive. He's tough. He has that PJ Tucker type of mentality, but except he's a much better scorer. I mean, he's, 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 you know, I don't know, he's the point guard version of P.J. Tucker who can score. He's tough, he's hard to go at, and he's one of those players that likes competition. He's had a relationship with LeBron, and the reason why say, i say, first of all, I don't think he's worth that first round Brooklyn mm-hmm. pick. So they're going to have to give up something like Amon Shumpert and like Zizic or something like that, and maybe even someone else, like, a, uh, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what they're going to get back. That's the issue. I like a, him
2: I like him quite a bit, personally, on the L.A. Clippers, going back to L.A. I think that Patrick is the most Beverly. sound fit.
1: What are you going to do? It's just, then you have a two-headed... Yeah, sergeant. but,
2: but Be- Beverly has, like, for he's years and great. years, knows how to play with a ball-dominant point guard. You know, you're talking about James Harden when he's playing for Houston, taking the... Um, more Bledsoe difficult could play defensive matchup. Yeah, yeah. Bledsoe can also play the two, and also most importantly, Blake Griffin's development as outside shooter. DeAndre Jordan in the low post. Bledsoe seems like the most, the best. LA seems like the best fit for Bledsoe.
1: DeAndre tweeted, "Come back home." Yeah,
2: no, I saw that, you and they could probably offload the fucking horrendous contract of Austin Rivers and maybe I, like a first rounder. I just have a feeling.
1: Well, DeAndre's tweeting that LeBron's on the phone. With you know what I mean? I, I just have a feeling that somehow, someway, he's gonna find his way. And, cleveland roster i don't know that defensiveness is huge uh, that defensive sort of i don't know uh, let's agree to disagree
2: on that <laughs>
1: <laughs> well we can agree on one thing phoenix right now i think is in they're in ruins and this just made it 10 times worse they're gonna lost well, two
2: blowout losses to start of the season were absolutely horrendous i think they won two in a row under jay triano though so they're
1: not gonna get a young talent for them. teams especially after this offseason when they saw with Paul George and, you know, players that really are basically going off one-year contracts, uh, they're not getting what teams thought they would for it. So, to me, uh, they'd be lucky to get Zizic and Amon Schumper, honestly, from Cleveland.
2: Yeah, I think a even like a top 20 protected first might be out of the discussion at this point. All right, talking about shitty teams, or maybe not shitty teams, uh, Orlando Magic, Brooklyn Nets, Brooklyn Nets, uh, stringing together a couple of impressive wins. Brooklyn Nets are three and two, or Magic three and one. I'm gonna shift the focus to the Brooklyn Nets really quickly, who have looked absolutely fantastic to start the regular season. Um, you're talking about a big win over the Miami Heat and the New York Knicks. We're not talking about two uh, you know dominant organizations, but we've seen a lot of impressive play from a lot of underheralded prospects and sort of blue chip NBA not blue chip, sort of like on the fringe NBA players we're talking Spencer Dinwindy. am I saying his name right? Dinwindle Dinwindle? <laughs> Rondae Hollis Jefferson, Karis Levert and the team is playing without D'Angelo Russell who's looked fantastic to start of the season as well as Jeremy Lin who went down with a catastrophic knee injury um, Graffin, where are you at the Brooklyn Nets? You're talking about the best offense in the NBA and the worst defense in the NBA are they a playoff contender?
1: Well as a a betting person on the nba this is the i hate this team they keep screwing me over in every single game they're unpredictable you never really know i mean they're scoring a ton that's the one thing that's that is sort of predictable about them uh, the last two games they had great defense i think and that was mm-hmm. the difference between both the knicks and the heat they scored under 90 i think both teams did. And I mean, they're scoring in bunches. It's it's crazy how the how the Nets are doing. Running gun offense,
2: just, man. It's a fun I, team to watch.
1: I think that's what it is. I think every player right now is being unselfish. I think they all know their role. Sort of what you said. They're all that type of player mm-hmm. who's always been, I guess, a role player as opposed to the man to step it up. As opposed to, you know, maybe D'Angelo Russell is the one person who doesn't fall into that. But beyond that, they've looked great simply because everyone's willing to do their part, share the ball. Selfless do- basketball, exactly. man. Exactly. And that's what works. That's
2: what makes teams good. That's why I was so high on them coming in this offseason. I know they're not the sexiest team uh, uh, in the NBA, but... I still think they're going to fall off. It's, it's But it's the fun of having a team like this with no expectations coming in the season. Listen, everyone thought and was thinking that this team is going to be the bottom of the barrel and just having a bunch of young, energetic players coming in, having to prove nothing in the NBA is a very exciting thing. Um, and, and listen, man, where the fuck was Damari Carroll's shooting uh, efficiency in Toronto? The guy's shooting fucking 16 points per game. 6.5 rebounds, man. The guy's shooting, like, what, 475 from field goal? Shooting over 400 three-point percentage? The guy's showing up to play this year. He may have been injured last year. I'm not quite sure if the issue was. But Damari Carroll is an actual NBA basketball player. Well, he's definitely got something
1: to prove to Toronto right now, it looks like. I mean, he... That game last night was also guarding uh, LeBron James last night, especially during the end of the game when they were trying to go on that run. And and granted, Cleveland almost came back. But give it to Brooklyn. Like, if if you're a team that's up by 10 or whatever it was, and Cleveland storms back, and honestly, LeBron looked like he was going to take that game over last night and win solely by himself. And Brooklyn just kept weathering the storm. Uh, It's a team now that they have kind of uh, a young core, I guess. And... Who knows what they're going to be? They're going to be very inconsistent. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. Uh, but they will be fun to watch. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, also Orlando. Same thing. Uh, did you ever see this coming from them?
2: I'll go back to Brooklyn for a sec. I just want to talk about, like, like Sean Marks coming into that organization and just really, you know, like, taking the absolute worst-case scenario with Billy King's, like, based on Billy King's tenure, trading every single draft pick, and just... Assembling a roster this efficient, you know You're talking about guys like Rondé Hollis-Shefferson and Karis Avert Who are late first round picks Who are actually starting caliber players in the NBA You're also talking about the emergence of a guy that I was really high on the offseason I don't think you or Greg were really high on him D'Angelo Russell Who's proving to many right now That he is an all-star caliber top 15 talent in the NBA Nope <laughs> well, we'll see at the end of the season. Uh, oh, I'm up on the Nets. On the, on the Nets. Last thing from the Nets. So I just, oh, I, I love, on. I love like all these random guys who couldn't find a roster position in the NBA are spart- starting to show their capabilities as like, contributing members to an NBA organization. I know I men- mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie. You also got, you know, guys like, like, like Trevor Booker, for example, uh, even Damari Kerr, like I mentioned before. Who could be potential trade chips swimming down the road for a contender looking to add that one extra guy to their bench? You're talking about, you know, maybe not a top ten draft pick, but maybe they can get a couple late first. You know, look what they did at the draft this year, man. They grabbed um, what Jared Allen from Texas this year, who's turned out to be a fantastic rim protector defensively. You know, the, just just the ability to to trade off these guys when they're they like have like really high value because they're playing obviously for a piss poor organization. I love the direction this team's gone. I don't think you could have taken what they had a year ago and made it, or two years ago, and made it into what it is today. It's pretty impressive, in my opinion.
1: So, do they make the playoffs, in your
2: opinion? I wouldn't be surprised.
1: That's a cutout answer.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, so moving over to the Orlando Magic, another very exciting team in the NBA. Orlando Magic currently 3-1 and right now. I guess the biggest surprise, the biggest takeaway I'm taking away from this is the improved play of Aaron Gordon's three-point shot. What the fuck is happening so far? So far in two games, Aaron Gordon is shooting 85% for the three-point line. He's like Blake Griffin now.
1: He's Him and Blake Griffin are like these
2: changed players that can
1: shoot from the outside, can dunk absolutely massive. He's the Blake Griffin of the East. Mm -hmm. And this year is the year he'll be an all-star, I think. He'll sort of take over. He'll finally, I think, lead that team. Although, Evan Fournier has been another person who's really, really impressed me there. He's been absolutely great. Uh, Not just scoring, but sort of all over the place with rebounding. It's just, I don't know. Orlando's one of those teams that you didn't expect anything at all out of Mm -hmm. them. And you see them now beating teams like the Spurs all of a sudden. Like Where, where did that win at, like, come from at all? And the Heat even. So the Heat have now lost to teams like Brooklyn and Orlando. And I have no clue how to assess that. Right. I don't know if it's Miami's, just like last year, early season drought. Mm-hmm. I don't know if these teams are sort of hot early. Because Orlando, I think, right now is 3-1. and one, uh, Technically first in the Eastern Conference. So it's, it's, it's mind-blowing. I don't think Orlando as well will be a, a playoff team, but it's, it's fun to sort of watch the ride right now and well, see these young players blossom.
2: Well, there's two things to this, um, well, for me personally. So you talk about last season, bringing a guy like Serge Ibaka. They signed Bismack Biombo and unfortunately Aaron Gordon was pushed to the small forward position where, you know, he had uh, obviously had a lot of difficulty sort of to yep. that position, more or less the, the three-point outside shooting. Um, he's in the perfect position now. Perfect position playing power forward. I'm not quite sure why specifically he's improved. Maybe, you know, it's off-season mechanics. Maybe he talked to a shooting coach. Aaron Gordon does look like an all-star. You're also talking about the improved play of Nikolai Vucevic, who will never be a defensive presence in the NBA, but is showcasing his capabilities on the offensive side of the ball. And I was mentioning before the Brooklyn Nets, Vucevic could be a potential top 15 pick trade for a contending team looking for that next, you know, big guy to throw in uh, to throw in against, uh, you know, a, a big, heavy organization. Like I'm not quite, I can't think of a team on top of my head that would be a good fit for Nikola. But again, you know you're seeing the best Nicolette possible considering that, you know, with consideration of Aaron Gorin sort of developing his outside shot.
1: And Vucevic is one of those players who fell into the same trap, sort of, or the same mold as Valanciunas in the mm-hmm. season, right? Where they were saying he's one of those typical bigs that it's slow feet, doesn't really move well, doesn't transition to this new NBA, and, I mean, he's got something to prove this year. He's I've always been high on Vucevic, mainly because I'm in fantasy basketball he destroys it with rebounds, mm-hmm. and it's great, but, again, he's a scorer. And... On this team where everyone is sort of the same thing as the Nets, you know, a uh, role player that just wants to share and, and win more than get the stats, I think it's great.
2: No, absolutely. Um, I hate to go back to the Brooklyn Nets one more time, but uh, you know, you just talk about running a, like a young organization and, and trying to develop your players as well. Um, you get teams like Orlando last year, like for some reason I was mentioning, like signed all these guys, like were they thinking that they're gonna compete for an Eastern Conference playoff spot? Like what's the point of signing Bismack, be to that a massive contract and signing or trading for Serge Ibaka? You know, guys like Aaron Gordon, guys like even Alfred Payton, uh, Jonathan Isaac, who they got this year, but Mary Horzania specifically are not getting playing time whatsoever because they're signing these fucking, these vets for some, like I don't, like same thing is happening with the Philadelphia 76ers right now. You sign all these vets and the expectation goes up so much higher everyone's talking about Philadelphia as a playoff team this year. This isn't the like, that That goes against what Sam Hinkie installed initially when he took over the organization of the process of everything playing itself out not really forcing you know the team to be a playoff contender. You're seeing the Orlando Magic finally understanding the fact that we don't need to sign these vets. We're not a playoff team. Let's develop our players in the best possible way. I.e playing Aaron Gordon as a point forward as a power forward. You know let Letting Alfred Payton develop his shooting as a point guard as well, and also, I, I, you know, giving Jonathan Isaac a little bit of playing time and trying to figure out his role in the NBA. Um, a lot of teams kind of force a lot of players uh, force a situation by signing all these vets. I think Orlando's doing the smart thing this year by actually letting the young guys play and that other their actual position.
1: See, I would disagree with, especially with the 76ers, uh, or specifically, I guess, only with the 76ers. I think there's a time, like, I don't think Sam Hinkie would have said, let's just keep doing this and doing this and doing this and acquiring draft picks as much. If anything, it's you kind of got to realize when your team has sort of built enough of a core, I guess, mm-hmm. Markel Fultz, Embiid, and Simmons, and where you want to actually surround these players with people who can teach them something in the game. You don't want these players going out there, otherwise, look what happened to the Lakers last year. Like, they were just, or two years ago, I guess I should say, is when they were all young, they were all just celebrating off of losses, and you saw Kobe on the court with his straight face. He hated it. He hated being there. So it, it was, I don't know, it's it's different for me. I, I think the 76ers are one of those teams that, I mean, you've seen them. They've been competitive for these first three, four games of the season, and they've been facing really tough teams. Uh, So for me, the 76ers, I think it was a good time to sort of go for it. And if you're going to be Ben Simmons or Markel Fultz specifically, who better to learn from than J.J. Redick or or some of these people that they signed to really just, they had money to burn. Mm -hmm. So why not spend it on small one-year, two-year contracts on guys that could actually teach your young players what to do. I don't think the expectation is to win the Eastern Conference, but it'd be nice to make the playoffs.
2: Well, talent-wise, they're a playoff team, but, you know, you're also talking about a lot of interesting pieces and how they adjust playing with each other. We're talking about Markel Fultz, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, um, got all three guys who may be positions, specifically Ben Simmons, um... I don't know, man. Like, Philadelphia is a pretty big basketball city, and they have gone through a brutal stretch within the last four or five years of being a non-playoff contender, bottom dweller. And this is the one season where you can kind of see the improvement and actually see a legitimate organization, like, see the process come into fruition. And signing guys like J.J. Redick or bringing Amir Johnson only tells the fan base that we have a win-now mentality. You know what I mean? Like I think that I think also what they were thinking is that bringing JJ Redick will provide a stable veteran presence of how to be a professional basketball player. But also on the flip side, it convinces the fan base that shit we can make the playoffs this season, which I think is a detriment toward Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid progression. If they didn't make the playoffs this year and they finished dead last, but you saw small improvements from Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, specifically Markel Fultz's play, that'd be a great thing. But you're seeing the situation like we talked about Markel Fultz, where a guy is either a injured or b completely losing his mind, but still, like, he That's is getting shit thing. on in, the like, the public. You know, public eye right now, Philadelphia, with the team, with the fan base wanting their team to be so competitive, right? See, I
1: disagree because I think there's nothing more, like you said before, the Philadelphia fan base has been dealt shit for the last, you know, five years in terms of what their team's been given. There's nothing... It, signing veterans doesn't say we want to... I mean, yeah, it says we want to win now, but like I said, it doesn't mean we want to win the East now. It means we want to make the playoffs and gives the fans some sort of a product. If they... Come in eighth, they face Cleveland in the first round. They get a couple games at home against Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Maybe they steal one there. That's a much better season to me than them coming in last place, not having veterans, and seeing some improved play from Ben Simmons. You can, acqu- you can do both, I feel like, if you get the veterans, plus teach these young players how to get better. If anything, if Philly sneaks into the playoffs and Ben Simmons and Bede and Mar- Markel Fultz get playoff experience in their first season, I don't think that's I don't think you can you can do anything bad with that in terms of their progression. Mm-hmm. That will only help them in terms of how they progress throughout their career.
2: Agreed to disagree. All right, uh, I guess we're talking about Mark Fultz. We'll spring up for a second. So Mark Fultz... uh There's a weird one,
1: right? This, uh, this whole injury issue. I'm not
2: quite sure how to bring up this conversation. So Mark Fultz, <laughs> the number one overall pick from Washington. Uh Boston Celtics traded their pick from 3 to 1. Right. All right. sorry, from one to three to Philadelphia to get the number one overall pick. Uh, Danny Ainge making that trade two days before the draft. Maybe he uh, had a little bit of an insider tip. Nonetheless, Markel Fultz, uh, big story going into the, uh, I guess, preseason was Markel Fultz completely changing the mechanics of his jump shot going into this season where you can clearly see him struggling as a shooter. Uh, the slashings there, the dynamic, play, um, you know, uh, athleticism, is there when it comes to driving the ball, but when it comes to shooting the ball, he's been essentially garbage. Uh, many pundits are sort of saying that he might have had an injury in the off season, other people more related to uh, maybe uh, changing his shooting mechanics. Here's Philadelphia 76ers head coach Brett Brown discussing the issue.
0: I don't know the specific time frame that, that we realized that. It was clear he wanted to change his shot. We got that, he came back over the summer with that and you know that was something he was into doing and we wanted to help promote that he spent a lot of time doing that and over time we've learned this this is something it's a fair question this is something i'm doing with him we're doing it as we speak what i will tell you is i am going to wrap my arms around this kid and we're going to do exactly what i've done with neural Noel snowell and other young people that have come in here and I, I want to own him, and we're going to do this together. He is incredibly important to us. I can't wait to do it. I feel the excitement, you can probably see it when I'm talking to you now, that I feel when I watched him over the past few days and what he was, there is no doubt why I, why I don't second guess that he was the first and player chosen. He's a resilient kid, he's an incredible kid. And the, the scrutiny and the microscope, this is all sort of completely foreign to him, even with the profile that he has had. But he carries himself with grace, and he carries himself with strength. And I believe that this period that we're going through, we're all gonna look back and take a deep breath and think that this was, I think, the launching pad to changing some stuff. First of all, getting his health right, letting him have a chance to feel good about, him, about himself and uh, I don't know, I'm in a crazy way, I'm really excited. Thank you, So, Christian, um,
2: very quickly, let's touch base on Markel Fultz's play on the 76 as part of the season. Um, should they sit him for an extended period of time? Is he injured? What is his current ceiling, you know what I mean? If he, does, if he did change his shooting mechanics, what is his current ceiling? Like, what kind of player do you think he can be? Would you draft Alonzo number one? There's so many questions pertaining to this and I can't really specifically address what the problem is.
1: I'm gonna try to go through this as logically as possible. And I'm gonna say that he was injured prior to, you know, all of this. The only reason he's even mentioning this this shot change thing to the team is because of the injury and he didn't want to disclose it. He knows Philadelphia's history of limiting people who are injured, mm-hmm. and he wanted to play. I think he wanted to prove himself, and that's really all this comes down to. Him and his camp wanted to sort of hide a little bit of this injury, give him enough time to, to, to play, and he would honestly, he thought he could probably play through it, and not even, people wouldn't even notice. Uh, obviously, he was wrong, especially with his free throws. Everything in his game looks off, and if Philadelphia right now had the player that they drafted, the player that, you know, was what he was out, coming out of college, like if you look at game tape from Markel Fultz in Washington compared to Markel Fultz right now in Philly, it's completely, completely different and especially the shot. So I think now that this has sort of come to light, the media has gotten more a hold of it, it's it's basically gonna put the 76ers in a position where they're gonna have to have a serious talk and say, Let's sit. Like, we have to have you sit.
2: Well, they've never done that. They have been the most piss-poor organization when it comes to actually addressing health issues in well, an organization. I here. really don't think they let have me Let me run this down for a second. Okay, so Michael Carter-Williams had labrum surgery 2014. And by the start of 2014-15 season in October, the still ha- team still hadn't fucking set a timeline for his return. Okay, also talk about the Ben F- Simmons' foot injury in 2016, last year, team also refused to set a timeline at all. Jaheel Okafor, March 2016, knee injury was supposed to be a six-week recovery. The guy's still experiencing discomfort one year from now. You know, it's just the fact that the team is so skittish at actually addressing the issue at hand. If Markel falls, he's a fucking sit, sit the guy down. Absolutely. Don't play him. Well, don't the, pussyfoot around the situation and say his shooting mechanics are a problem or force a guy into court if he's fucking injured, if he's the first overall pick, if he's a future face of your organization. Take him out this season. Let him take the season off. Even let rehab it for maybe two months. Go to the fucking G League, get some playing time in, and come back with confidence and a full bill of health. I don't understand what this organization is doing with his injured The
1: players. problem is, like from an outsider perspective, it seems like Markel Fultz is the one calling the shots here. The, the,
2: the, why are they allowing me to put in that situation in the first place? That's and, crazy. And that's,
1: that's exactly my point, is that it seems like Markel Fultz is the one who decides he's going to change his shot, who decides he's going to do this, and they still let him play. Mm-hmm. At some point, if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, staff, head coach, this is... You just went through this with Embiid and, and Simmons. What if, like I hate to say the what if, but what if he had gotten a serious injury from his shoulder mm-hmm. just because he's trying to play through it and he has to take a season ending injury and that that would be the Philly curse. Yeah, That would be the exact same thing that's happened to all the rookies. It's like your your initiation when you come to Philly. Alright, you're going to have to go through a season ending injury and not play for your first season. Right. So I don't know why they were taking a chance. They have to basically just take control of the situation. I've Never really been a big fan of Colangelo. I don't know how much he affects this at all or anything. But I mean, again, this is a team that trade. Look, D- this is kind of interesting, but Danny Ainge trades away two days. Yeah, you know, trades that draft pick away. Two
2: days before the. He game.
1: traded away Isaiah. He traded away Isaiah Thomas, who was also injured. He may
2: know what's up. He
1: he. he and then ironically the player that he got in free agency goes down with a season-ending injury. So, Who, who knows if it all comes back full circle. Dandy Aged basically, though, just let go of players that were injured or weren't going to allow them to win this year. And Markel Fultz obviously had something wrong with him. He wasn't playing in the summer league. They just shouldn't have played him from the start. They, this is a team that, honestly, I think Ben Simmons should take over anyways at the point guard. Oh, we talk about like, talk saying about, saying like injuries
2: like Joel Embiid and Markel Fultz. Take the fucking sure goddamn thing and create your offense, specifically run through him. Like, everything is about Ben Simmons right now moving forward. I- and Joel Embiid might be the greatest center yep. in the history of the NBA. One healthy. But the guy's a gamble. One healthy. mark Fultz, same sort of situation as well. Um, fuck, man. You got great complimentary pieces in Covington and J.J. Redick. Yep. You know, we got some decent guys up front with Sean Holmes and Amir Johnson, etc. in the front court for the 76ers. This is Ben Simmons' team. This is the way they should be viewing it moving forward.
1: And I've been saying, I said this, I think, in a few podcasts before, but they, to me, the way they have to run this team is exactly like Cleveland does, in where LeBron, who's the bigger three, and we saw it last game, is now playing point guard. Mm-hmm. Ben Simmons is that, and Markel Fultz, when he's healthy and playing like he does usually, is the Kyrie Irving of that team. And, you know, that that's the difference.
2: Well, that's also what I mean by kind of punting the season as well. You know, sitting Markel Fultz down, extremely limited minutes for Joel Embiid, because when that team is ready to fucking go, that team will be one of the best
1: Absolutely And again like This season should be uh, We could contend for the playoffs But we don't want to sacrifice the future All right. I mean, That's the overall
2: goal for Philly Alright guys Running a little bit late uh, Last thing we'll bring up um, Who is your sneaky surprise player uh, So far in this NBA season Christian? So
1: I ended up making a list with a few So let-
2: Give me one Give me one Give me a sample sandwich. We'll bring in a. Uh, okay, so this one's one for week.
1: you because you've been ragging on him a little bit, especially I think in the last.
2: Uh, well, you're bringing Laurie Marquette. I am bringing Laurie. You're Mercandon bringing Laurie McKinnon up. up. Yes. Yeah, and you know what? You know what? I was going to reluctantly insane? say his name as well. <laughs> Absolutely, Marquette. And this is the same situation. I don't bring up the fucking Brooklyn Nets again. But Chicago Bulls are a terrible organization. They have one guy on their team who might be has a, like, all-star potential. No one else on that team. Zach Levine, Mike. Ugh. okay, anyways. Zach Levine coming off, what, is, what was it, an eight, um, Achilles knee, injury?
1: It's a knee injury.
2: A knee, injury? A knee injury? Okay, anyways. Uh, Laurie Mercannon is the only guy on that roster who has points, any thought about eight being... Eight
1: rebounds, and five from eight from three. He, his stroke, like, has is is the ball hit the rim yet when he's shot this year? It just looks like dirt. He but looks he's like in the dirt.
2: perfect situation That's playing with seal, Robin right Lopez. There. Like a big physical brute at center.
1: His ceiling is dirty. He looks just like him out there with his shot, at least. I mean, not the... the Ryan not Anderson! The tributes, but <laughs> um, <laughs> that's um, the low end, I think. My, yeah, that's
2: my, great. my sneaky great player is someone I mentioned already, and continuing with the Brooklyn Nets, uh, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. The guy has just... He, he he looks so switchy. Like He looks like, like he could play three, four positions on offense. He could guard four or five positions on defense. Uh, one of the better sort of guard-forward rebounders in the NBA, a guy who's putting up 15 points per game. He's like Alvaro Aminu on Portland, with like a really good, like a pretty decent jump shot. Like I don't think he's gonna be an All Star, but I see him being like a really good complementary piece to a really good starting five rotation. A guy that can guard so many different positions. A guy who's developing his offensive acumen. A guy who I just think will be playing the NBA for a very long
1: time. Plus, he did the LeBron block on LeBron. Exactly. Doesn't get much cooler than that. And it, into the win.
2: Too. So that's that's what I like about that
1: uh, Ronda Halle. He's been playing great. He's a two way player. That's that's fantastic. If I had to go just quickly, a couple other players that mm-hmm. have really impressed me. Eric Gordon. I feel like Eric Gordon takes over the ball, especially with Chris Paul
2: out. We're looking he's like the game. old school Eric Gordon. Absolutely. When you're for Chris Paul, being playing for the Hornets. Exactly. Right?
1: He but looks like he can easily attack the basket at any time or step back and take the three. He did the one the other day to beat the Seventy Sixers. Um, Oladipo has been playing out of his mind. It's one of the reasons
2: why. Yeah, but twenty six point you, any if fucking Terrence Ross could get 26 points per game if he was running the uh, the offense for the Pacers right now, man.
1: Yeah, but he's, again, he's, he's what did he 38, I think the other night? He's... he's
2: 26 he's, points per
1: game, right? He's really playing really... Okay, so anyways, and Evan Fournier, I already mentioned him earlier, but he's been playing also, I feel like uh, much better than usual. He's usually known as a point-scoring type of guy, and I think he had 10 rebounds the other night, he had a bunch of assists, he's getting a lot of steals as well, he's just playing really good hustle type of basketball and it's one of the reasons why Orlando's doing well.
2: Mm-hmm. Alright guys, thank you very much for listening. Hopefully Greg will be back next week with Greg's gripe. Um, we'll also bring some fancy talk next week as well. Um, thank you very much for listening guys and have yourself a fantastic rest of your week. Go Raptors, go! Go Brooklyn
0: Nets!